This is Retrospective Facilitation, a podcast for facilitators that want to make their retrospectives even more effective. This is the first of a series of special episodes where I interview former military war veterans now working in tech-related industries and reflect on their wartime debriefing experiences and similarities with Agile retrospectives. Some teams often skip retrospectives, but what happens when you skip a debriefing in a war zone? In this episode, I speak with John Hawkins, a United States Marine Corps war veteran, now Chief Marketing Officer at Customer.io, and reflect about similarities between retrospective and military debriefings. Yeah. So, John, maybe like um, if you want to introduce yourself and uh, mention to the audience like what you were doing uh, for the Marine Corps and when you were uh, deployed uh, and also like what you're doing today. Yeah, yeah, for sure. So my name's John Hawkins. I'm currently the, uh, the chief marketing officer at a software company uh, called Customer.io. Um, and a uh, long, long time ago, uh, in 2002-ish, um, I... Uh, was much younger and joined the Marines. Uh, and in the Marines, my job was um, to, uh, uh, to operate and repair and make sure that they, to, that they stay ready to, uh, sorry, operate, repair uh, tanks. And particularly these are amphibious tanks called Amtraks. And so by the time I got out of the Marines after four years, um, I was a Sergeant um, and and most times, all, you know, a whole platoon of tanks were, were my responsibility. So it was up to me to make sure that while we're in the field, while we were deployed, wherever we were, um, that uh, they were, we maintained 100% readiness and those vehicles were ready to shoot, move, and communicate. Those are the main three things there. But yeah, the first thing that comes to mind about, about the Marine Corps is communication and the ability to communicate uh, was everything. And so... Uh, I, you're, you're talking about retrospectives and debriefings. I'm just saying this because I think it's just this underlying thread that every Marine knows, no matter if they're a rifleman or they're in a tank or whatever, that like their ability, ability to communicate with each other at peacetime, but more importantly on the battlefield is everything. If we can't hear each other, we don't know uh, intelligence or what's going on, then everything stops, the mission stops. And so one, one interesting thing that I remember from the Marine Corps is that like uh, with the communication aspect, um, there, there could be three things that would stop. Uh, I, I'm sorry, my, my role in the Marine Corps was uh, the maintenance chief and a crewman for this amphibious tank. And we'd usually roll um, in groups of uh, three to four at a time, uh, or three to four tanks together across different parts of, of the country. And um, there's a few things that could disable the tank, uh, like internally. What we would do is we would say, like, if the engine's not running or, think, or, or mechanically it's not working, uh, that would disable it. Uh, for our particular tank, since it was amphibious, if it if there was a um, compromised hull or it, was a le- it would leak, that would disable it. And then, and then the third thing was really funny. I never understood it until later on, actually until going to Iraq, but it was communication. If the radio systems were down, could not move. We would not take it into combat, no matter how much we needed that vehicle. So um, so communication is just an inherent part of the, of the Marine Corps. Um, on a more individual basis, every person... Every Marine, doesn't matter if they're like most junior or the most senior, uh, knows what it means uh, about to, to pass word, is what they call it, just passing word. And so it's like such a meme in the Marine Corps that people make t-shirts, like their PT shirts or their green like exercise shirts that we wear when we exercise in the morning. 
and the words, you know, usually they'll say like your, your unit, your battalion and, and your, you know, insignia on it um, to show pride of your unit, you know, within the Marines. Uh, but a lot of times people make goofy shirts or whatever, and they'll say it's like got word, like a play on like got milk, you know, and got word is basically the same thing. It's, it's saying like at multiple times during the day, the mo more senior Marines enlisted and officer will always take time to stop uh, uh, and make a formation and talk to the, um, the more junior Marines and say, this is what we know. This is what's going on. This is the plan of the day. Um, and so there's never a time in the Marine Corps where you don't know what you're doing for that day, even if what you're doing is nothing. <laughs> you're just like, if you're waiting for uh, air, aircraft to land to pick you up, um, then we are standing by to stand by, or we're hurrying, we, we better hurry up, get to this spot so we can wait all day, or wait for two days to get picked up, or whatever. So people always know what's going on, and communication is just that, that underlying thread. And I think that um, when it comes to debriefing, it's just exactly the same thing. It's just this expected thing. You would never, ever, ever do a single thing in the Marines without some sort of what we used to call a school circle um, at the end. And so a lot of times you'll see the, the most senior Marines, gunnery sergeants, um, you know, first or second lieutenants, um, maybe company commanders, captains, things like that. Very common word they'll say, school circle on me. And that basically means no formation, no nice neat squares of people standing in rows and columns. But it means just, just you know, uh, like in a complete cluster, just run over and make a C shape around me so I can tell you the word. And a lot of times when we're doing, we were passing information in the beginning of the day or before an event or a mission, it would be in a formation. Um, and a lot, of day, a lot of times when it's a li little bit less formal, maybe it was like, you know, outside of garrison in, in the battlefield, not, not back on base, it would be more of a school circle because people are a little bit more emotional. Um, well, Marines aren't that emotional, but like they're a little bit more, they're just in a different spot. So, um, so a lot of times I remember the debriefing aspect of the of communication of the Marine Corps being in the form of a school circle. Um, and I remember from the, yeah, the most insignificant things, the most just heartbreaking things. And so, um, so I'm not sure. Yeah. What's, what, what'd be the best way to talk about that? Like, do you have a, are you, are you bringing this in context against, um, like retrospectives and why they're yeah. important and why do we choose to skip them all the time and things like that? Or. Yeah. So I was just like, um, thinking when you mentioned that, that school circle, at what at that point I imagine like this uh, this officer to ask information right do you you want to make sure everyone is on the same page on on what happened and um, how how does that usually go so is the uh, maybe someone thought that oh I should have done this thing instead I did that thing is there blame going on how is um how is that how is that going and what is the outcome of this the circle of this this these debriefings yeah yeah this is, uh, I, I get what you're saying so i think um uh the accountability is something that like marines pride themselves on so if if someone makes a mistake um and you know and it's i guess it depends on the situation the context really matters if it's in there's two two states there's in garrison which is like when you're back on base I won't talk about that as much because it's not as authentic when you're in a combat area. Um, it, it's, it's very, very different. And I think that when you're in a combat area, there's not as much blame or accountability for actions that we take in those scenarios because no one can, it's, it's, it's a, um, it's like trying to predict which way the wind will blow. You can't, you can't have complete control or, or like, um, or accountability in a combat zone. You do the best you can under the pressure you're, you're under. Um, so I think a lot of times in, 
for deployed areas in areas like Iraq, we would our retrospectives or our debriefings would be um, mostly about uh, acknowledging what happened, um, just because you never want to assume that like that certain folks have the same picture and perspective that you do. In a lot of cases, um, you know, with with Marines, they, they, if they're engaged in, in some sort of fight, they may not have any idea what happened on the other side of the, the town or the other side of the hill or the valley or whatever. And so the briefing is helpful in that case um, to just understand how the, uh, you know, how, how the, the battle went on or the fight went on. Um, in some cases, uh, um, you know, things happen, like, like vehicles become disabled, uh, people get hurt or people die. And, and I remember that those type of debriefings are helpful too, because that's just like, that's the, you need to hear that from, from your own leadership. And, and, um, that's, that's where I think, I, I don't know, just, just a lot of process for, for being able to move forward, move forward happens. Um, I remember one instance that's maybe not so sad, but maybe just, just more helpful of when we didn't do a debriefing. Sometimes that happens when the cadence of things is so quickly. Um, and there was a time where we we're out on, on the highway. Um, and our job was just to drive up and down the highway in these tanks and try, try and have someone try and blow us up. So they wouldn't blow up at one of the weaker convoys. That's literally our job. We did it for a month and we went up and down the highway, up and down the highway. And we, we see, um, something in the middle of the road. It was just a tire. And we knew the very first thing they taught us before we left is don't stop next to tires because there's probably an IED in it or a bomb. And so it was right when we got into country, we had just gone up and down the stretch of road. It was really close to Abu Ghraib, that, um, that horrible prison, you know the story. Um, and we stopped right, we see this tire and we stopped right in front of it. We're like, oh shit. And we, it blows up right in our face. And um, luckily no one was hurt, but the vehicle, um, was was dis disabled. What happened was a piece of shrapnel cut through one of the hole, the, uh, through the hole, uh, and then just sliced this coolant line. So the damage, you know, basically after that happened, we we got out of the vehicle, we secured the perimeter. The person who triggered the IED was long gone, and there's never, you know, usually a second one that's not going to happen within a few seconds. So we stayed there. Um, we couldn't find out who did it, but we stayed there. And then we started working on the vehicle to see if we could get it driving again. And what we found, and the only alternative would be to tow it. So um, so we really wanted to see if we could fix it. And so we saw what the damage, uh, the damage that occurred from that blast. And it just, like I said before, cut through a coolant line. And so in my mind, I was thinking, you know, we can take another coolant line and fix this, um, in a kind of a jerry rig fashion. So if I think I have a picture of it, I wish I could find it, but I think, I think I took a picture of it. It's basically like we took two bigger coolant lines and cut them and put them around the busted one and then put pipe clamps all up and down this whole thing. So it's something that I would never ever ever expect to even work and somehow it worked and we filled filled the coolant back up in the engine the tank was rolling and we got it back to to base to camp Fallujah, where we're, where we're at and once we got it back i remember like it was the second we got back onto the base there was this thing, we were this thing called qrf or quick reaction force another part another part of our team had gotten into a fight elsewhere back on the road so we sent we were sent right back out and I remember we didn't stop to debrief to talk about the thing that had just happened. Instead, we just went right back out. And maybe the reason we didn't do it because we didn't have time. Um, but still, we, we sh you know, in retrospect, we should, we should have made time. And so we went back out. And I swear we got, and this time is important. This time it was really, really important. We had, we had friends who were in a fight, and we had to go and help them. Um, and we got not even outside of the main gate. Though it was like this entry checkpoint thing. And that same vehicle that I jerry-rigged to get back to base uh, uh, failed. And so the cool line that I made broke. 
And I remember feeling like, oh my God, the whole time I was thinking like, please last, please last. this thing will be fine. I had this like fake confidence in this thing, but in real, reality, it was just good enough to get us back. And so what that meant was that we had to, to stop our vehicle. We couldn't go to help our friends. Um, and another vehicle had to stay with us because we always had to be at least in a minimum pairs of twos. And so what ended up going out was instead of four tracks or four tanks going to, to help with that uh, quick reaction force, just two went. And ultimately, that team was okay. The other two came in support, um, and, and that was fine. But, but like, I think the thing that made me feel really scared was that uh, if the challenge or if the fight was bigger than, than just those additional two tanks could have, could have um, uh, handled or been there to help, uh, it would have been my fault that, like, that, that more people got hurt or that someone got hurt. And so um, the lack of a retrospective in a, like, in a situation like that was everything. If we had stopped, oh, sorry, when we got back again, when everyone was back, we did have that retrospective. And the first thing that uh, it was like my staff sergeant said to me, it's like, why didn't you tell me that that thing could only last for like five more minutes? I'm like, I had no idea how long that thing would last. You know, what I wanted to do was, I, I, just, I just didn't think it was important. And so that is absolutely a question he would have asked, knowing him, staff sergeant stairs. He absolutely would have asked if we had taken five seconds to say, are we ready to go out? This, you know, this last kind of, we just got blown up. We just got back. Now we're going to have to go back out again. If we'd taken five seconds to stop and talk about it, me being this, the more junior Marine, I would have said something if I was asked, but because I wasn't asked, I didn't say anything. And I, I thought that we didn't have a choice basically to go back out again. Um, so actually to, to, to going back to what you said in the beginning, you're right. That actually is something. It's like that retrospective would have, would have given me the opportunity to, to sound off um, and to say, Hey, I really don't think that this, this Jerry rig coolant line is going to last. And I think this vehicle will be disabled. Um, and instead uh, I didn't think that that was an option. I thought we should just run this thing until it goes out. But you know, Ultimately, what we did was I took one tank out of the fight because I was I, I didn't have I didn't have the the understanding that you know that one would have to stay with us. We could have sent three and left that one broken one back. So, um, so did yeah, I think feel, that's. Uh, did you feel safe to to speak up to say something? Uh, yeah. Or was it like in the in the in the heat of the moment, maybe? Yes, yeah, so a little bit of the heat of the moment. Um, I think that that uh, at that time is we were still very new in country, and so what we were looking for was. The senior Marines who had been during the in the invasion of Iraq a year prior, um, for them to have like you know they they're the ones who were calling the shots basically, and I think that from my point of view, I just want to make sure that I was making as many things as available as possible. Um, and I didn't realize that that by taking a chance, you're actually taking a bigger chance. And so so I felt free to speak up, but I think um, I felt pressured or not pressured. Um, I felt like that was the right thing to do. My lack of experience. It was just, it was just um, my lack of experience that, that, you know, is why I didn't speak out. But again, if I was asked if we had stopped and, and looked at the craziness that just happened and then did an assessment of the vehicles and the readiness, uh, it would have been a different story. I would have said who, something. Who, who calls for debriefings? Is it the unit commanding officer? Could it be like someone in the unit that say, Hey, should we have like a, a debriefing about this or that? Yeah. I, I don't know who, who, calls for it uh, i'm trying to i mean it's been it's been a lot of years my in my my initial reaction is that it's just inherent it's just like we never we would never come back from anything without talking for a minute and debriefing before people disperse you know what i mean and um that was just i, I couldn't imagine that um so i think it's more just something that's ingrained and i think the reason the reason that it was so consistent is because to be, when you become a leader in the marines it's a it's a badge of honor it's like a, it's a pride thing and that you would never, ever, ever want your people to just disperse and walk away after an event. Um, 
it's it's not even I don't think it's about control or anything like that when you, when you get leadership I think it's just about um, making sure that your people see things um, they, they understand things deeply they see it the same way uh, you do and I mean that in a not in a like um, trying to make them see it the way you do like just in, in no no way else but just keeping them positive and, and making sure that they walk away with with um, with a, the right motivation I guess it kind of sounds weird but Cool. I love the connection that you, so when you sent that message, I was kind of blown back. I'm like, retrospectives and, and military debriefings, I'm like, that's a great topic. That's like, that is such a good topic. Um, mm. But yeah, man, the biggest thing that sticks out is that school circle at the end. You would never just disperse. Like, you would never like bring all the tanks back, park them, and everybody just goes to their cot or something like that. It'd always be a discussion. Always, always. You know, to the question of like, is blame ever placed? Like, things go wrong all the time. Um, someone made a mistake that that caused you know uh, a, a significant loss, something like that. Um, I don't remember. I remember a lot of different debriefings. I don't remember a single one where someone was singled out. Like where that was the point of the debriefing, um, because I don't think that anyone in that scenario felt like uh, like it was a controllable thing. A lot of times, where if you're you know building software that's and it's a really to for, to fix a really challenging problem. Um, or something really aggressive for, for um, you know, something that's never been done before. Uh, or if you're fighting in a war and you basically, uh, you know, have a loss of life or something that, that you, um, you know, is really, really hard to deal with. Uh, it's, it's, it was never seen as someone's fault. It was just that we were trying to do uh, the best we could at the given time. And then things happen. You know, vehicles break. Um, uh, people get hurt. Uh, things happen. It's just, it's not always controllable. And I think, there's that like quote, um, I don't remember it very well, so I'll butcher it, but there's a quote that says like, everybody has a plan until the first shots are fired. And, and the reason that that's like so accurate, so important is because it's like, that's the honest truth. The second that things change and you realize you have to start to adapt, that plan goes out the window. It doesn't matter anymore. It's great that you planned. It was meaningful that you planned to be ready, but, um, but it may no longer be what you need to follow. At that point, you need to adjust or adapt and if you want to overcome. So, um, so I think that, yeah, the, the one nice part about debriefings and most communication in the Marine Corps was never placing blame. Um, I think that, that, uh, in a lot of organizations and particularly in the military, uh, you, you can, you have a really healthy group of people or unit if everybody feels, uh, accountable and likes the accountability and likes that, that type of pressure on them. I think that's a really healthy place to be. And so usually you'll have that person feels that way. Uh, but as a group, collectively, you're not trying to place blame. You're just trying to make sure that the next time something like that comes up, you have a better plan to get through it or you have a better strategy, um, anything that can help change the outcome uh, to be what you want it to be for the next time. But never placing blame. That's absolutely like a waste of time. That's how anyone would have looked at it. So. Nice. Um, John, thank you so much. This has been really fun. Um, you got it, man. There's going to be a couple more episodes dedicated to war veterans giving their view on military debriefings and connections with retrospectives. Give us your feedback on Twitter with hashtag thisisretrospectivefacilitation. And this is your host, Enrico Deotti. Until next time.